gosh, I never used to be like this. I was like a picture perfect perfectionist for most of my life. Today, I'm talking to April and Alter, who is a powerhouse in the creator economy. She's got so many things on her plate from an NFT launch to Tenderfoot, her startup, and just being a creator in the creator economy. We spoke about so many different things, and I think that we could have easily gone on for another hour. But among those different topics, we covered how to build a community, how to grow your online presence, how to deal and learn from failure, and of course, how she learns all of these new things that she's learning and teaching others. I had a great time chatting with April Lynn. Enjoy. April Lynn, welcome to the Mountain Pass. It's great to have you here. I think I encountered you for the first time when you gave a session to Kevon's Building in Public course back in May. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I actually had no idea that that's when we first encountered yeah. each other. That's great. Yeah. Well, it was, you were, you were teaching us and I was listening. So I don't think we right. encountered it. Was, it was a one-way street. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's what led us to connect over Tenderfoot. And now to have you on the podcast. So it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Great. So I thought before we dive into all of the different topics we want, whether it's building in public or being a creator in the creator economy um, and Tenderfoot, that we would just actually start on where you're coming from and where you are now, because I think that's a really interesting journey that'll be very relevant to a lot of the people who listen. All right. Well, this is a, a large question that has potential to give a very large answer, but I'll kind of give the bird's eye view of everything. If you want to dig deeper into any of the one components, let me know. Um, I guess I'll start in, in college. I wanted to go into hospitality and then many of my peers were kind of selling out of hospitality ops and going into finance, real estate, and banking, and I decided to kind of follow suit. And that was my career path for a while. I did take one internship at a startup, a Series A venture-backed startup based in Silicon Valley. And that experience was completely life-changing, completely opened my eyes to that there's a completely different world out there beyond banking. Um, I did end up taking a full-time job offer after graduation in the banking world as a financial analyst, but I graduated early. So in December and my full-time job started in April. So that left me with four months to do something. The original plan was to go and travel during this extra time. But of course, with the worldwide pandemic, that wasn't really an option for me. So on a whim, I kind of decided to start a startup um, with a developer who used to work at the startup with me previously. Um, so we started a startup together, did that until March, ended up disbanding. I had all of two days really to feel frustrated with the fact that I wasn't really doing anything anymore. Um, and that's when I had the idea for Tenderfoot, which is part of what I'm currently working on. It's a platform to connect students with internships at startups. That's really when I started my Twitter and online presence journey as well. So 
did that for a while. My online presence kept on growing. Uh, Tenderfoot kept doing pretty well. And then come and, and, and come April, I started my full-time job as financial analyst. Come July, I quit my job as a financial analyst, kind of went into being a full-time creator. And now in late October, I am doing a variety of things. I still have Tenderfoot going on constantly in the background, but I kind of extended my personal brand through to encompass many different areas. I have a YouTube channel. I just released a collection of NFTs. I do custom Twitter banners and I do some social media freelancing. And I have an online course coming out in January as well. So kind of a lot of different hands and a lot of different pots um, as a creator. Wow. Um... That is, that's a lot on your plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's honestly amazing. I could have, when thinking back to quitting my job and all of the things that were going through my mind at that point, because that's scary, you know, quitting a very safe, very cushy, very well-paid job to kind of go off and do your own thing, um, really jumping into uncertainty there. And looking back, it's only been, a couple months and I can already tell that it was incredibly worth it, um, but probably for different reasons than I thought it would be worth it. So there are two kind of tangents that my mind started going on while you were talking um, or two kind of topics that I want to dive into more. And the first is just on this concept of like failure and pivoting and trying new things, um, especially when we're young. And that also like what that feels like and just why do you think you're open to, why do you think you're open to it? Why do you think it's a strength? Um, My personal take is it's, you know, it's amazing and being open to new things. That's what gives us kind of upside shots. Um, And, and just like a, a venture capitalist invests in a lot of different startups, you don't know which one will work. You have to take all these shots on, on target to score. So I think it's a, it's very similar, but it, it takes a lot of emotional resilience and being able to roll with the punches and not being scared or dealing with being scared when people ask you, so what are you doing? You know, what are you up to? And that answer changes. So I'm just kind of wondering what your reflections on are like on all of that. Oh man, I have so much to say on this topic, man. It's, it's honestly one of my absolute favorites. And I guess I'll start by saying that, gosh, I never used to be like this. I was like a picture perfect perfectionist for most of my life, right? And that's kind of how it was going to an Ivy League university, going into banking, you know, always excelling in school, always doing the best. And for most of my life too, I never really did anything if I thought that there was a good chance that I would completely fail at it, right? Because I wanted to maintain that air of being exceptional at everything that I do. And so it's just so cool to me to think about that's who I used to be. That's who I was for the rest of my life versus now when I'm just trying all sorts of things and I'm failing publicly all the time. Um, But I will have a caveat that my definition of failure has changed a lot. Um, 
for a while, I thought that the opposite of failure was success, right? They kind of had the counterpoint of there. Um, but instead, now I think that the opposite of success is instead stagnation. And that mindset has really been able to push me to do more things because now, you know, failure isn't the enemy. Stagnation is the enemy. As long as I'm not stagnant, I can at least to myself feel successful. Um, and yeah, so I, at, at this point now, I, again, I quote unquote fail all the time, but I'm always changing. One, one thing that kind of came to my mind after coming back home from college, just maybe like three years after being here, I convened with an old group of friends and all of them have had, when I first met them, already been graduated from college. So here I was three years later coming to see them again and absolutely nothing had changed in any of their lives. And I just thought, wow, because this, for, 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 for some people, like that is great. You know, they, they know what makes them happy and they keep doing it. But to me, I thought I could, I can never see myself living this way. Or if I did, like, I don't want to live this way. I always want to keep changing. And that's kind of also when I thought about my, my role at my job um, as a financial analyst and thinking, is this really what I want to do? There are so many people who have 30 year long careers, at the same company, just slowly climbing through the ranks. Is this really the lifestyle that I want for myself? And it wasn't. Um, with Twitter too, Kind of tapping into that indie hacker community and realizing that there are so many people out there who are just problem solvers and you just try to keep attacking problems regardless of if they succeed or if they fail and if they fail they'll find another problem or maybe stick on the same problem just try solving it again and those were my people i i really really never felt like i connected deeply with a lot of my peers in general growing up until I found Twitter in the Indie Hacky community. And at that point I realized, wow, these are my people. These are the ones that really understand me and that I really vibe with um, and who inspire and empower me on a daily basis. And I guess I'll also kind of say to end this uh, wild rolling tangent of mine, is um, one, one man that I really admire on Twitter, his name is Daniel Basalo. And his entire idea is to build a portfolio of small bets. And that way you increase your surface area for luck, right? You, you increase the odds, and you kind of touched upon this earlier, of you know, shooting different shots and the odds that one of them are going to succeed uh, is much greater than putting all of your eggs in one basket. And that also resonated with me a lot. And I think that that's kind of what I'm doing at this point is, yes, I have Tenderfoot, which is my quote unquote main squeeze, but I have lots of other ideas going off at the same time. And each one of those is a new opportunity to succeed. So we'll, we'll get into the different bets soon, um, <laughs> but do, what, which one do you think came first? The the mindset of it's okay to fail or even failing isn't an failure. Failure is actually a success. Um, so do you think that mindset or inner confidence came first or did the, 
kind of building in public that you do, sharing those, sharing what you do in public, um, did that come first or, you know, do they come together? Because I, I feel like those connect very deeply, being able to speak in public about what you're doing, um, even when it flops, right? I think part of, part of the challenge about building in public is, you know, you launch a new feature and no one cares, mm-hmm. right? So right. how do you think those, those two relate? I absolutely had the mindset, mind shift, mindset shift. There we go first. And that actually happened through therapy. I was in therapy um, for a different reason. And then ended up kind of moving the course of my therapy towards is realizing my authentic self and learning to grow into her and to realize who she is. And part of that too came through a lot of work of moving past that perfectionism and moving into the idea that failure is okay. Um, And that was huge. And that's really also when I started stripping my idea of fulfillment from the idea of like status, prestige and income and more towards what truly brought me joy in my own life, um, which was huge. And so that, that really came first. And that self-work, I think, is what really enabled me to perform exceptionally well on Twitter and while building in public and being authentic, kind of bringing this new, fresh perspective into the space that people haven't really seen a lot of yet. Love it. I love it. Um, do you think that's helped you build an audience on Twitter? Absolutely. Because, well, well, for one, nobody really wants to see someone perfect on Twitter. Like as, as much as we have this like obsession with, you know, celebrities and everything that, that they're doing in this glamorous life, I think what a lot of people want to see on Twitter is that no matter what other people are doing, like those other successes are achievable by the average person. And I think that's what being authentic and showing your failure really helps in terms of connecting better with your audience because they they want to see that you're successful. Obviously, it's kind of, they, they probably wouldn't want to, they, they wouldn't have as much of an incentive to follow someone if they weren't succeeding at something otherwise it seems like a pretty depressing twitter timeline to have that being said like they they do want the failure there to help identify with that journey and to think i can be this successful too because i can fail in similar ways as they do and it just really helps build a much more genuine and strong connection with your audience Got it. I, I completely agree. Um, I've had two discussions on kind of building in public over the past few weeks on previous episodes. And I think one of the key factors for building in public is really authenticity and being transparent. And without real authenticity, I think building in public is just another marketing gimmick, honestly. And that real authenticity is also being vulnerable. And it's also talking about failures um, and not just, you know, repeating success stories. Um, I posted a blog post recently about how we raised our pre-seed funding uh, 
Um, and it's not a, it's not a Cinderella story. Like it was a tough slog. Mm-hmm. We worked really hard on it. Um, and when my co-founder saw it, he, he was like, wow, this is really, this is really, <laughs> really transparent. Are you sure we want to be publishing this? Yeah. Um, and I thought that that's, that's actually what gives value to people, knowing that other people have struggled, knowing that other people have, have gone through, you know, hard, hard times. Um, and it's not necessarily that. So how do you connect, you know, the, the public aspect of Twitter and the marketing aspect of Twitter with being a creator? How do those two mesh for you? What projects do they connect to more? Is it driven intrinsically, extrinsically, a mix of both? Yeah, that's another huge question. Um, I guess I'll start with everything is connected under my own personal brand. And this is really important because I feel like a lot of um, a lot of new Twitter users who are kind of new to building the public as well struggle with the idea of what their content should be about. And a lot of times their content is about what they're building, which makes sense. But if it's too individually product-centric and doesn't tie enough of the personal aspect into it, then people are following you for that one project and not for you. And that makes it really difficult if you want to add on new projects to keep the interest there. Versus if you center your online presence around your own personal brand, like you don't change a million projects to come and go, but you are the one that's tying everything together. And so when I think about my Twitter presence, I really think about April and Alter as a brand, and then everything else kind of flows through that. And so my my Twitter kind of started with Tenderfoot and building that out. But even even when I say it started with Tenderfoot, it kind of didn't. The The intention was to build in public with Tenderfoot, but I kind of got off on this tangent of audience building and about how to successfully build up your Twitter presence. And a lot of people started to latch onto that idea to follow follow me for that type of audience building content. And so then I thought, okay, well, how do I balance the audience building side and then the Tenderfoot side? And it's been been tricky. I, I did a poll a couple of months back asking my audience at that point um, what they followed me for and what sort of content they wanted to see. And like 80% of them said that they wanted to see the audience building content as opposed to the Twitter content or the creator content or any of the other content that was honestly more interesting to me. The thing about tweeting educationally, which is what I do on the audience building side, is that your it's difficult on a platform like Twitter to get very deeply into certain topics. Um, I'll I'll kind of rephrase that in a way that maybe makes more sense. On Twitter, you're constantly getting new followers, and those followers don't have the context of all the content that you've had before. And so the same questions are being asked all the time, right? Like, how do I build in public? How do I grow my audience? How do I do well on Twitter? And I have to keep churning out more base level content in a way that seems fresh, but it's difficult for me to go deeper into any one of the topics because 
all of the hundreds and hundreds of new people that come in constantly don't have the base knowledge already. Um, I feel like I'm going off on a wild tangent here, away from what you actually <laughs> asked, but I guess I'll kind of, I'll kind of tie, tie it back with saying that that's why multiple platforms can be helpful when they're building a brand. So not just something like Twitter, and that's kind of how I jump onto YouTube, is that I can get deeper into the topics that are more interesting to me on YouTube while catering to the audience's desires and wants on Twitter. Right. That's that's actually exactly where I was going to bring it to as well. Like you have, as a creator, um, you know, building in public or sharing publicly, it just really depends on what you want to share and figuring out what platform works for that like we can have conversations in a podcast that you can't have in a twitter thread or you can't have in tweets and replies and things like that um and that's why you have a youtube channel um connecting to this we've actually gotten a question from twitter from darren um, at darren t smith so thanks for sending that in i feel like a radio talk show host at the moment (laughs) um but he asks and I think it's a, it's a really good question to ask now, which is in building an audience, what have been the best levers for growth and connecting with people? Because um, you started touching on that at the end, which is, you know, some people don't even have that baseline of knowledge. How do you, how do you have different conversations with different people? So we'd just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I will say in terms of like base levers for growth, the, the, the most obvious thing I would say that started to skyrocket my own growth was being able to provide educational content, I guess, teaching. If, if not for the teaching aspect, which I started super early in my Twitter journey, um, I don't think I'd have an audience that I had today. Um, so for, for reference, so some of the first Twitter, so, so some of the first content that I released on Twitter when I got, when I started taking Twitter more seriously were threads. And I kind of tweeted exclusively threads for maybe two weeks. And these threads were about you know, do's and don'ts of your Twitter banners or how to write a Twitter bio or you know what, what you should do for your Twitter profile pic, right? And things about Twitter. And that's really skyrocketed me from someone with a little less than 100 followers to well over a thousand followers in that first month was being able to consistently create threaded, valuable content that people wanted to see. And I mean, we're on Twitter. So obviously tweeting about Twitter, the audience is much bigger. You every Twitter bios are applicable to anybody that's on Twitter. And so again, that the, the the biggest lever for growth for me in the beginning was actually having valuable content to share. And I will say too, for those who might be concerned, like, oh gosh, like I'm not an expert at anything. What do I have to share? I was brand new to Twitter. I had not used Twitter before. I was learning in public and just packaging my 
learnings, my lessons, like what, what I had learned in a way that was valuable to others. So it's okay if you're not an expert at any of these things, like you can, you can learn as you go. What's important is that, again, you package it in a way that is really valuable to others. So that was one. And I guess this, the second lever that, I, that I'll talk about is kind of what we talked, what we touched upon already, but is the authenticity. Because, you know, there, there, there's a saying, there are no unique messages, there are only unique messengers. And really just touching upon like what makes you as a voice unique, <laughs> all of the content that you're putting out there is like, similar to everybody else's, which when you're in a loaded space like audience building or entrepreneurship, of course, a lot of the content's going to be the same. But if you're authentic, and that's, I guess, how I brought my voice into it is I was, um, I was very good at loading in my own voice and my own tone and my own personality to all of the content that I produced all the time, both in my pure tweets and my threads and in my replies and supporting other people. It was always ever present. And I think that also really helped in terms of growth and connecting with people. So the first two was really if I, if I summarize just to make sure I got it, um, one is showing up and doing the work and doing the work correctly. So threads um, consistently over two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and having the banner. So basically dotting the I's and crossing the T's, but doing it. Um, and then the other is just being authentic. And when you combine those two over time, that's what leads to it. Yeah. Honestly, it's as simple as that. I say simple, that doesn't mean easy, but I think everyone's always looking for like, oh, what's what's the secret to all of this growth? And that's really the answer is that I took Twitter seriously. I showed up every day. I put out valuable content and I was authentic and that's what did it. And then the last thing that you mentioned kind of in the last sentence was building community. So <laughs> what does that mean? Um, and also we got another question on Twitter about how do you build communities from within communities? And you mentioned indie hackers in the beginning that you had found them as your, as your online community. So I'm wondering specifically if it was indie hackers or just any other kind of community out there. Yeah. And it's weird when I say indie hackers, I don't actually mean the indie hackers platform by okay. Portland Allen. <laughs> um, I say Although when I say indie hackers, I mean like the indie hacking people, the ones who are kind of bootstrapping their way to successful businesses. And many of them are on indie, on the indie hackers platform, but I connect with, with all of them through Twitter. Um, that being said, I do listen to the indie hacker podcast pretty frequently. So um, I like there, there, there is like a huge overlap with the people. Like the, I, I guess what I'm saying is that the, the people are the same, but they're on both Twitter and the actual indie hacker platform itself. Got it. Um, so how do you find them and build that community with them? By the way, I've yeah. struggled with the indie hacker platform and I've had great success with the indie hacker people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there you go. You, you and me both. Um, in terms of 
finding them. I'd say, I guess like my own journey to finding this community. And I will say too, because this, I think this is, at least this, this was really important to me when I was starting out on Twitter, is that it, starting off on Twitter is really lonely um, when you're not drawing upon an existing network of people. Like I was brand new to Twitter. I didn't know anyone. And I saw lots of other people tweeting about like being so grateful for the real friendships that they've made on Twitter. And I was just thinking, how? Like, how in the world did you do this? Because I was just there. I was all alone. No one knew who I was. No one cared about what I was doing. Um, and so like that, that, that feeling of what I had at that moment, that just kind of loneliness and you know, like a twinge of envy while looking for people who have strong communities on Twitter, that's like very fresh in my mind still over all of these months. And I think that, that, that a lot of people could be there at that point. My journey, I guess, to how I eventually found a community. First, I, I found the people that I wanted to become closer with. So like I, I identified the community and that was kind of like the build in public slash indie hacker community that existed on Twitter. At that point, I started becoming much, much more active in the reply sections of like micro-influencers in the space. So not, not going after the accounts that have like 30,000 plus people, but instead looking for the ones that had between maybe 2,000 and 7,000 followers on their own accounts, because those are the ones that tended to be active not just in tweeting, but also in replying to their own replies. And their own communities seemed pretty active. And so I, I started becoming pretty active replying to those types of accounts and like being consistent and making sure that my name became familiar to them. And then when they replied, we'd have conversations and I try to add value with all of my replies to the best of my ability, or at least like show authentic support for them. And I think that's kind of how I was able to like insert myself from someone completely outside of the community to someone at least relatively into that community. And as I became a more active supporter of so many people and an authentic supporter of so many people in that community, then you know you have all of those tweets that are like tag like five accounts that you know you should follow or five accounts in marketing or whatever um i started being tagged in a lot of those kind of like like an up-and-comer in the space and that's kind of how i first entered into that community from scratch so what have you found in terms of that consistency and showing up and being authentic um, that you kind of the playbook you did on Twitter that now that you're doing this on YouTube and in general about being a creator with your other projects? Yeah, I'll say that. Well, first, first of all, I'll, call it, call it that. I'll kind of touch upon the last question, which is about kind of taking one community to build like an existing community to build a new community. When I got started on YouTube, I mean, it's, it's challenging. I, I already had a pretty established, loyal, large Twitter following. 
but not all of that kind of transferred over to YouTube. And in YouTube, I was starting fresh. Um, and YouTube is a very different platform from Twitter in a lot of ways. And trying to join a new community, um, it's it's just very different. And the first thing that I kind of did then was I I did tweet about starting a YouTube channel, and I did have a couple of like loyal super fans from Twitter kind of jump over to follow me on YouTube as well, which is which was fantastic. It means that I wasn't starting from zero. It was like I was starting from 96, which was huge. I mean that it meant that okay, people are going to be at least watching my first video. Um, in terms of kind of growing that and going into the question that you asked about really just staying consistent and building content. Again, it's it's simple and hard. Everyone knows to like just stay consistent. Consistency is key. And it's absolutely true, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. With Twitter, you know, I tweet every day. Sometimes I take Sundays off from tweeting on my own personal account. Uh, but if if I ever miss more than a day on Twitter, like I can see that I'm getting less impressions. The algorithm just treats you differently if you're not as active. On YouTube, I made a pact with myself to release a YouTube video every single week, no matter what. And it's a lot easier said than done. That being said, consistency is super important because consistency compounds. Having a video released every single week is a brand new opportunity to get discovered by the YouTube algorithm. And unlike Twitter, every single video that I release on YouTube, it stays there forever and can be discoverable by people whenever versus in Twitter, five days after you tweet something, it's long gone in your timeline unless you try to bring it back up by quote retweeting it. So yeah, consistency is number one in terms of continuing to build your presence on really any platform as a creator. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think often you just have to show up often enough until lightning strikes, you know, until you get that one really big, important retweet or someone who, you know, someone who pays it forward. And if your content is good and if what you have to say is interesting and if you're adding value, then then that's enough to snowball, but you really need to show up consistently for that to happen. Absolutely. And also like you, you not, not, not only that, it's like, yes, the more, the more content you put out there, the more opportunities you do have to hit it big, but also the more content you put out there, the better at making content you become. That's also super important. True. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, I guess on that front of like learning new things, um, and this goes way back to the beginning. This was the second original tangent I had in mind that I wanted to ask about, <laughs> which was, it was, it's really the concept of being a lifelong learner and not only learning new things to, to, to do them yourself, but to also produce content. And then you also mentioned you're doing an online course, um, and the NFTs and, you know, you know, that's a completely kind of new and different topic to 
the other things that you've been working on. Um, how do you approach learning? How do you approach gaining enough mastery to teach other people? When do you think you've gained enough mastery to teach other people? How do you approach that side of things? Um, these are all questions that are really front and center for us at Alp because you know we do audio education and that question of how you teach people, how you build courses from a pedagogical perspective, from a storytelling perspective are always front and center in my mind. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the question that kind of stood out to me most out of the host that you asked, which is, you know, when, how, how do you know if you've learned enough to teach something? And my answer will be as soon as you have a takeaway, that's when you can teach. Um, and a takeaway can be something super small. You don't have to be an expert. All I'll take um, an example, which is pretty fresh to me right now, which is the NFT world, I guess, brand new, <laughs> brand, brand new to me. Like what, what is even happening in this NFT space? Um, and I, I kind of went along to decide to release my first NFT collection. And like, I, I am choosing to release my educational content about my NFT experience a little bit later after having collected more information, just so I can create a more robust and rich thread in the video about this NFT experience and my takeaways. But like, I, I could have started producing content about NFTs from the very beginning when I was first doing research on where do you even want to launch, which was OpenSea? Why did I want to choose OpenSea? Learning more about it, like what the heck is a transaction fee? What the heck is gas? And every single new thing that I'm learning before launching my collection, you know, or even with what I'm doing in making NFTs, like how did I come up with my ideas to make NFTs? How am I actually making them? Where am I making them? Where am I getting my ideas from? All of these individual concepts can be taught. It kind of all depends on the, the method of teaching you want to do. So like each one of these takeaways that I'm listing could have been an individual tweet that would have provided value, would have been educational content that would have helped others. I'm choosing to wait until I can, can compile a large list of takeaways to form a longer thread and a longer video on it. But again, like you can start teaching as soon as you have a takeaway from something. So how, how much are you collecting before you do an online course? Uh, and just in general, what's, what's the course about? Yeah, so the online course is actually going to be um, a Twitter accelerator. So it'll be a, a very interactive kind of coaching heavy cohort-based course on accelerating your Twitter account. And I had enough content to create a course on this, honestly, three months ago. Um, I've been choosing to wait because I didn't have enough expertise on how I actually wanted to relay this information, right? Because it's one thing to be an expert at something, or it's one thing to have knowledge about a topic. It's a completely other 
question of, okay, what's the best way to relay this information? What's the most effective way to relay this information? And that's kind of why I sat on it for so long and I'm now waiting until January because I, I have so much information to give and I want to do it correctly. Um, so I'm actually going to be a student in a pretty large cohort-based course coming up next week. And I think that that student experience will help me a lot better when it comes to being an instructor in the new year. Interesting. So it's really kind of learning by doing, if I hear it correctly, like in terms of the NFTs, it's just trying to put out a collection of your own. And then, yeah, to, to put out a collection, you have to understand what gas is and what minting is and what an NFT is and what platforms are out there. And when it comes to teaching, yeah, let's, let's do a course. Um, let's take one ourselves and kind of see what we like, what we don't, what works and what doesn't, and then implement that and, and teach what we have to teach. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll say like learning by doing, but also kind of bias to action, right? And this, and this, this also goes back to increasing your service area for luck. Um, one of my dear friends, and I guess I should say mentors, uh, I also worked with him back when I was first interning for that series, a startup back in the day. Um, he's He's been really great providing a lot of support for me to go out and try new things. And he always says to bias to action. Because even if you fail at something, um, you'll learn so much from the opportunity if you approach it correctly. And that experience might open brand new doors for you to go off and do cooler and more exciting things afterwards. And that's really been kind of a guiding principle on all of the many things that I'm doing, of which there are a lot, is always bias to action, the things that I'm not saying yes to everything, I'm pretty selective with what new projects and roles I do to keep on and how well it aligns to my own personal brand. But if there's an opportunity to do something and if it aligns with my brand, then I'm going to do it. Because again, like it might not work out. I'll take NFTs as a great example. Um, is that like, I spent so much time and so much effort and so much love just poured into creating these beautiful pieces of artwork for this Twitter banner NFT collection. And I'm getting a lot of great feedback at that. People are saying like, these are gorgeous, but I've only made four sales. That being said, it's only been one day, but I'm selling them for about 0.03 Ethereum each, which currently is around $125 each. And what, why are you laughing? I think for me, that would be a success. Oh. <laughs> I mean, when it, when the, the ticker price is 0.03 ETH, it looks small, but when translated into dollars, I think a lot of early artists would consider selling four pieces of work for $125 as a great success. <laughs> yeah, okay, Especially that's, in that's, one that's day. <laughs> that, that, that is fair. Um, I think like to me, just, just thinking about everything that I put in all the hours of work, I guess like if, if I think about what I value my time at, at an hourly basis, 
versus the four sales that I had, like it's not worth it looking at how much time I put into it versus the, the, the what I made, right? And it's it's not just the four sales too, right? I had to have like a, an initialization fee to get started in OpenSea. Um, I did a, a giveaway, so I gave away one for free, which means that I had to pay the gas fee for that transaction. If you're brand new to NFTs, it's confusing. If you want to learn more, I'll write a thread about it and you can ask me questions. Um, but, but that being said, like one, like I made sales, that's great, but I'd say even more important than that, it's the fact that so many people out there now know that I can do NFTs. And I got quite a few more followers through this adventure who are super into NFTs. And that means that, hey, it might open the door for me to work with a technical partner to create a much larger collection of like 10,000 items and do so in a way that's not completely manual, right? And there's just so many more opportunities that can come from this that can make it worth it. It's not just the immediate, tangible, financial value of what I'm receiving at this moment. It's about all of the doors and all the opportunities that come available to me because people now know that I can do NFTs. I think that's a, that's a great kind of closing point um, because it's, it connects to what you said straight on in the beginning, which is increasing the surface area, um, taking those shots, all right? And yes, when you translate the cost and kind of the ROI, it might not make sense, you know, especially based on four, four sales, but overall, you're, you're increasing that surface area for yourself for opportunities. Um, so where can people find you and hear all about these different, I mean, you've got a lot on your plate. It sounds like there are a lot of things that are coming up day one of the NFTs. So by the time this podcast airs, we'll be in like day four, three, five, something like that. Um, but you have an online course coming out. So is the best place, Twitter, or YouTube, where can people hear about what you're working on? Yeah. The best place to find me is on Twitter, um, at Aprilin Hay and from there, you can find the link to the Twitter banner NFT collection. You can find the link to my YouTube channel and you can follow me to learn about everything else that's coming up and I guess learn about everything that I'm doing because I, every single time I try something new, um, I tweet and create content about all of the takeaways and what I would have done differently and advice that I have to people who are trying to do the same thing. And I really try to impart as much value as I possibly can. Amazing. Well, April, and thank you so much for coming on the Mountain Pass. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been so great.